Okay, so now I'm beginning to wonder, how am I going to get justice? Because the judge that day in court ends up denying my motion. I asked the judge, Judge, what do I do to get justice? All I'm asking is that the words that the magistrate recommended actually be represented in the final divorce decree. She said, Michael, you'll have to hire an attorney and take it to the next level. Well, God had already told me what? Don't hire an attorney. Don't defend yourself. So now I'm like, great. What do I do now? Okay, so the pressure is building on me to deliver myself. Uh, Biblically, the first example that comes to my mind when I watch this clip is in regards to David. I've already spoken about this first instance, which occurs in 1 Samuel chapter 24, where David spares Saul's life in the cave. If you remember, the backstory is, is that Saul is running around lying to everybody, saying that David is trying to steal his kingdom and that David is trying to kill him, that he's a rebel against the king of Israel, right? And in fact, it's the other way around. The one doing the accusing is the one who's actually guilty. David is on the run from him, trying to do what's right and trying to stay out of this guy's way uh, until he no longer is a monster. And two times, David is presented with an incredible opportunity to defend himself and relieve himself of this enemy. And this is about what's starting to happen with me is I got this incredible opportunity, and you're going to hear a little bit more about it in the clip coming up, um, to essentially deliver myself. Let me show you this unbelievable temptation that David must have been through. It's really easy for us to read this passage in the Bible or to hear this story even as I tell it and not realize the intense amount of effort it takes to withhold yourself. When everything in you, your all five senses are saying, this is your moment, God has blessed you with this, do this. In fact, you'll even hear where friends of mine thought for sure, yes, this is what you should do. You should full on go into this exactly as they tell David to do here, Abishai. Listen to this, 1 Samuel 26, 7 through 12. So David and Abishai, this is the second time David spares Saul's life. They went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely, and watch this, look at how David denies himself. And to me, this isn't just a principle about the fact that Saul is one of his anointed, because clearly Saul is no longer anointed, right? The Spirit of God has been removed. But at a much deeper level, this is about David trusting God for deliverance. These are the type of things that add up to the point where God can look at a man like David and say, you are a man after my own heart. David stands against, if you will, an old covenant taking up of the cross. He stands against everything in him, everything in those around him that is screaming for justice, that is screaming for deliverance. I mean, can you imagine? We're talking about a guy 
who ultimately ends up being on the run from this devil-possessed man for a period of about 10 years, essentially running from town to town, from cave to cave, from exploit to exploit, all trying to keep and preserve his life from this king who is dead set on destroying him. So you might imagine the frustration. David is a human. He wants peace. He wants comfort. He has been anointed. I mean, how much more severe, how much more like God and like Jesus Christ is David being that the fact he has been anointed by God, selected to be the next king of Israel, David has already been anointed. Wow, what a contradictory set of circumstances. Here the future king of Israel is on the run from a tyrant who doesn't deserve to be king for another five minutes and is running around lying about him to everybody. Can you imagine? Look at the injustice of this, right? This is kind of, to me, like a little small picture of some of the injustice we're going to see with the coming king of kings, right? David is just a small little picture. It's why we can look at some of the Psalms and say, wow, that's awfully prophetic. That sounds an awful lot like Jesus Christ. I think Psalm 22 might be a perfect example of that, where clearly it is. I believe it's both and. I believe it is something that David actually experienced And then at the same time, I believe it's something that's a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus Christ. So this is another reason why David is truly a man after God's own heart. He's he's denying himself and taking up a cross hard against himself in these ways that are just extraordinary. So look at what he says. He says, as surely as the Lord lives, this is David speaking to Abishai. He said, the Lord himself will strike him. Who's his deliverer? the Lord himself. He's like, I'm not going to do this. This is a man who's already shed a good deal of blood and he's going to shed a great more amount of blood. And yet he's now realizing the Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. Well, that's a prophetic truth because that's exactly what happens to him. As we know, we've read the rest of the story. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get that spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. So David took the spear and water jug uh, near Saul's head and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up and watch this. Here's the sovereign hand of God in all of this. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Oh, you might imagine the kind of reasons God had for doing this, right? First of all, they're in a deep sleep so that David is protected. I mean, clearly God is watching after and protecting. His eyes are on David to protect him. But I see another opportunity here. I see where it was very clear this could have been an amazingly high amount of temptation at his enemy's weakest point. You're never at your weakest until you're sleeping. One thing coming into a cave where David's at to urinate, it's a whole nother level of weakness for him to be asleep. Look at what he could have done to this guy while he was sleeping in a deep sleep that became clear he wasn't going to come out of. David had full access, totally unencumbered, unrestrained to vent all of his wrath. Rightfully so. This guy is a devil-possessed tyrant, wicked man who's already been disobedient to God two ways. God has pulled his anointing from him. David had rights in his mind. He had all kinds of things he could have done. And look at this. He's denying himself. This is incredible. Okay. 
This kind of same thing on a much smaller scale is now happening to me where I'm having to deny myself. But notice, I go to the Father. I go to him and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? This looks like a soft pitch, right? If ever there was a soft pitch right there in uh, 1 Samuel 26, 7 through 12, that is a soft pitch against your enemy, right? Well, I'm going to get one not nearly as good as this, but I'm going to get one. Let's continue on and see what happens. But God kept showing me 555. That morning, I wanted to immediately get off the phone and call my mentor. Normally, when I would face... Um, something big and challenging, I'd call and get Larry's input on stuff like this. This day, God said, don't call Larry. Don't talk to anybody until you talk to me. Come up and meet with me on the mountain in the secret place. So I went to my, to, to what I call the secret place where I went to meet with the father and I just began to pray and I said, God, I need you to give me direction. I need you to, to, to lead me and guide me and tell me what you want me to do, father. What are the next steps? And he just began to tell me, trust me. And he began to show, I will deliver you. Trust me. No circumstance that had changed yet. Okay, so what you're going to begin to see is that the Lord is closing doors around me and opportunities and resources and people that I can use to help deliver myself. The Father is beginning to isolate me both in choice and in proximity from other people in order to teach me how to depend on God alone, okay? And you're going to see this develop more in the story as it goes forward. If you, like me, are ever called into a full-time position of vocational ministry where your daily work is to do the work that the Lord has asked you to do, then you should expect some of these same principles to come to you. Those who are called into a full-time vocational ministry... They're not better than other Christians, but they're not living a normal Christian life. This is something that God has helped me to really understand in the last few years. When you read the life of David, this is not a normal Christian life David is living. When you read the life of Joseph, that is not a normal Christian life or experience. Okay. When you read the life of Paul, that is not a normal Christian life or experience. When you watch my life, as you probably have already concluded... This is not a normal Christian experience. When you read 2,000 years worth of amazing Christian autobiography, many of which I've named throughout my recordings, these are not normal Christian experiences. If the Father calls you to serve Him in a full-time vocational position and you are to be called as a special servant to the Lord, you are going to encounter special seasons of suffering, special testing, in special trials that others will not have to go through. The umbrella principle of this is to whom much is given, much will be required. Anyone given a trust, Paul says, must be proven worthy of that trust. So before God can give you a ministry, before God can give you power, before God can give you an anointing, before God can give you wisdom and insight, and before God can trust you to speak into the lives of other eternal creatures... Think of the responsibility of that when God gives me a message for one of his children who are a spiritual entity that is going to exist and live forever, either in hell eternally apart from him or in heaven eternally wrapped in the bliss of knowing him. So think of the responsibility that comes with ministering the word of God, 
to another child of God. Wow. Before you can do that, you have to be proven. Now, if you look out through uh, the internet here and YouTube, I have no doubt there are probably tens of thousands of people who have taken it upon themselves out of a very good desire to want to serve the Lord, a very good desire to want to be useful. Uh, They've taken it upon themselves to begin serving the Lord. And in fact, God has never once told them to do it. They've began to go out and build a, quote, ministry and to teach people things just simply, uh, I'm supposed to go do this. I want to serve the Lord. I'm going to go do it. The call of the Lord is not something you take upon yourself. Now, all of us are to be full-time, if you will, ministers for the Lord. You're to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in your heart, in season and out of season. You're to always testify at every given opportunity of what God has done for you. You're to always be a light in the world, salt of the earth, right? Everywhere you go, you're to be an example. Everywhere you go, you're to live like Christ as he enables you by his grace, aided by your self-control and your spiritual disciplines. We all have this responsibility, but most of us have to work a day job and most of us have to live in the secular And we are a spiritual being having a spiritual experience in the secular and God occasionally pops up these unique opportunities for us to minister on his behalf to somebody else or simply to be an example, right? That's for all of us, including me, no matter what. When I go through a drive-thru somewhere, I'm not in full-time vocational ministry there. When I go out shopping, I'm not in full-time vocational ministry. Father does not call me to go to the mall and stand up in the food court and take a microphone and start telling everybody about Jesus Christ. That's not what God has called me to do. But he has called me to have Jesus Christ be in my smile to that person behind the counter, to look for some way to care about them as a human being and to take note of them and to recognize that they are a human being regardless of skin color, race, language, how they look, social status, for me to look for a reason to be able to be a blessing to that person. That has nothing to do with me being in full-time vocational ministry. Zero. Nada. Makes sense? But since I am in full-time vocational ministry, there comes greater testing, more severe trials, longer seasons of really testing your faith to see if God can bless you and give you the anointing Can God trust you with deeper levels of wisdom? Can God trust you with power from his spirit, words of knowledge, insight into his word? Can God give you the tools and resources he needs and can he trust you with them such that you will not A, squander them, do wrong with them, or begin perhaps looking down on other people as a result? There's all kinds of things God has to prepare a servant for. In order for him to give God, in order for God to give that person, that man or woman, the resources heavenly by his spirit that they need in order to do work. So one of the things that you see happening here is God is beginning to isolate me from the typical ways that I've received help. Years ago, I saw an article in a devotion I was reading called When God Removes Your Elijah. And that means if you're Elisha, The day may come when God will remove that person who has mentored you, that person who was your head, your spiritual leader, who taught you how to walk with God. So if you are an Elisha, you may lose your Elijah one day, and it's very likely. This is a very well-known principle that many of the greats have even talked about. 
And if you are a Joshua, you may lose your Moses, where the day comes, you have to stand on your own two feet before God and walk with him. So I have seen this happen many times in my own ministry, where God has allowed me to have closer relationship with an individual, for me to pour into them more consistently than just a a message or two here and there. And then after a time, I remember the first time this happened, it happened with a young lady who's currently living as a medical student down in Argentina. And she contacted me about some real struggles that she was having on, hey, I really, really want to serve God with everything I have, but I'm really having to give my whole life to this medical student, uh, being a doctor, and I'm having all these pressures and all these things. And she came to me with some questions, and I knew as soon as I got this lady's first recording that I was supposed to minister to her on an ongoing basis for a time. And she was coming out of a Seventh-day Adventist church, and she had all this pressure from her church back home and from her family, and she had all kinds of questions, things that she had been taught, that when she would listen to my recordings, they sounded like truth to her, but they contradicted many of the things that she had been taught. And I watched the Spirit of God pursue this woman. It was just incredible to watch. And she would put into practice and she would listen humbly to all of the information and the biblical counsel that I gave to her. She would apply it and then she would come back with some more information and want to know more. And we did this for a period of, I don't know, it was many, many months, uh, perhaps even, a, actually it was over a year. It was just over a year that this happened. And she humbled herself and I watched this young lady take this information and grow. And in the process, I watched God begin to bless her. And then she would go away for a time and then she would come back and then she would go away for a time and then she would come back. Well, one time when she came back, the Lord had me release her. And I had to do this message for her where I said, dear sister, I said, God is graduating you today. It's time for you to stand on your own two feet and walk the rest of this out with God. And I said, I know you're not going to want to hear this. I know this is going to be painful. It's going to be frustrating. But God is wanting to graduate you. And he wants you to know that you can have what I have, where you walk mono e God, man before your God, and you can begin to draw from the Spirit of Christ yourself, and you can begin to have wisdom, and you can begin to enjoy His presence, and you can begin to receive all of His guidance apart from me. God used me very much like He does other ministers, or what He does with me in my ministry is primarily to be kind of a temporary, to use me as a temporary mediator between Jesus Christ and that individual who doesn't yet understand. Imagine two people, Jesus here and another person here. This person has heard a lot about Jesus. They're aware that he exists, but they don't know him. And what they've been told is, is that in order to be friends with Jesus, they have to approach Jesus on his terms, because he's kind of like the boss, if you know what I mean. He's the Lord, the King of Kings, the Great I Am. He's gentle, he's loving, he's meek, but he's also stern. He's also strict, Romans 11, 20 through 22. He demands that we come to him on his terms. Well, this person doesn't understand that. And if you just throw them a Bible, it's easy for that person to get overwhelmed and lost. So for a time, a person needs the counsel of somebody who already knows this friend, Jesus. And so here's Michael standing in the middle of Jesus and this person. 
And this person has all kinds of questions. Why does Jesus make me do this? Why does he ask about this? Why won't he do this? And Michael comes along and says, let me help you understand how Jesus feels about that situation. Here's what I know uh, Jesus said in his word. And here's what I've seen Jesus do in my life from experience. And so a person who's ministering on behalf of the Lord, particularly in my calling, is designed to help people see primarily this Jesus that you've been following. He's not the real Jesus, the one you've heard about behind the pulpit at your church, the comfortable Jesus. He's not the real Jesus. There's a different Jesus. Let me mediate this relationship for a time and help you to understand God's ways. And so that I can say to you, you know, John Smith, meet Jesus. Jesus, meet John Smith. Jesus has called me to help John Smith understand. Let me tell you, John, about Jesus and what he thinks about that situation and what he expects for you to respond to uh, that situation the next time, so forth and so on. As John Smith begins to take the insight that I give him about Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ begins to respond and validate what John has heard is true. And then all of a sudden, John's confidence begins to get build up, and he begins to realize, man, I can go to Jesus now, direct myself. I can now take that question I haven't asked. And sometimes, God will do this by breaking a relationship. He'll use a person in your life or use you in another person's life for a time, and then when he sees that that person now has enough, I like to think of it like um, a lion, a teenage lion. I don't know if you know this or not, but when a lion, a male lion, is two years old, he is finished. There is no more family business, no more family comfort, no more lionesses running out and uh, bringing him all of his food, no more cuddles, kissy, kissy, huggy, huggy with dad. In fact, what happens is dad comes over one day unannounced, totally catches the teenager off guard. And will absolutely terrify that teenager, smack at him, growl at him, push him around, bite him, and bully him around until he gets the idea, it is time for you to go. Now this is something that's happening instinctively. It's the way the lion kingdom works. That young adult lion, or that young lion gets two years under dad's tutelage and under mom's tutelage, and that's it. After that, he's kicked in a moment. It's like one day he was in the family, the next day he's not. Now he has to go out and become a male lion. He has to learn and put to practice the things that he's learned, begin to have understanding of what it means to be a lion so that one day he can go out and defeat another male lion and have a family of his own. It kind of, gets kind of weird at that point, but nevertheless, it serves as a, a, a really neat analogy. Um, I've seen this happen repeatedly. And so this young lady, I, if you will, God told me to cut her loose. And it was hard because I, I, she was a very tender young woman, very sensitive, but she also was very brave and courageous. And she had been such a wonderful uh, uh, disciple, if you will, of Jesus Christ through me, following my example as I followed Christ. But that day came where God says, it's time for you to go learn on your own. She did. And let me tell you, I'm in contact with her to this day. Um, I'm keeping her anonymous because of her her request and because of the pressure that she gets from her church. But I want you to know this young lady has continued to swell under Lord's blessing. Oh, she's had plenty of suffering. She's had plenty of 
difficult things to figure out and move through, but I'm telling you, I have watched her over the last few years and I get updates from her and she wants to always let me know how much she remembers how much God used me to get her going and how thankful she is that now she's walking on her own two feet before God. He continues to minister to her deep truths and teaching her things and she's growing and maturing and I have no doubt that God is going to call this woman into a wonderful calling where he's going to use her because she's obeying him. Again, she's not perfect who is besides the Lord Jesus Christ, but she's growing in spiritual maturity. It's, an, it's, it's just an amazing example. One other example that is kind of an interesting personal update, uh, you probably saw uh, a video, perhaps you may have seen a video, that uh, my friend Jared and Kristen and I sat down on the couch several months ago, I guess it's been, and we kind of introduced them and told the little story about how they came to live with us and how I had spent uh, a good deal, a bit of time ministering to Jared and discipling him. Jared was also another one, just like this young lady, where I got his first recording and I knew I was supposed to minister to this guy. God had a plan for his life and I was supposed to give him some extra time and I did. And uh, on that couch from the year 2018, uh, we both began to believe that God was calling us to Austin, Texas. This is an interesting update for those of you who saw that video the reason that video is no longer on the internet is because God has redirected and changed plans. And unfortunately, I couldn't figure out how to edit the video through YouTube. It was having an error where I could take this part out. But in that video, I explained that God had let us both know we were both going to Austin. But after that, and there's so much more I'm going to share about uh, this story about how God guided me in a different direction. It's an incredible story. But believe it or not, Jared and Kristen left. They're no longer living with us, and they left to set out on a great Abrahamic adventure all alone with God. It's Friday, January 25th, and the Tabais are leaving after living with us for eight months. I didn't think I was going to cry, but I did. Oh, sad. They're following God's lead. I'm so proud of them. And they're headed to Austin, Texas. And at the last minute, a few weeks ago, God kind of pulled a mysterious surprise on us. And I realized that Lord was going to separate us. He's got a special mission for them. And they're being called to go and be isolated and alone with God. And uh, we've all just stepped into it by faith. And they're on their way out. They're, they're, they're running as Abraham before the Lord in obedience and faith. God has called them. Hebrews 11.8 has been the number one scripture that he's showed them over and over. And now it's time for them to walk in it. Not knowing where they're going, they are going. They've packed up everything they have, everything they own. The tiny house is going to be leaving this morning as well. And they're on their way. There they go. Wow, what an adventure we had. What an adventure we had. There they go. Austin, Texas. And what is so cool, what's such an amazing blessing for them, is when we put out the video that we were moving to Austin. A subscriber who had been praying for Persis and I to move to Austin, who felt so lonely, contacted us, named Isabella. And uh, Jared and Kristen are going to be going directly to their house to stay with them until they find a place to put the tiny house. May God bless them and keep them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God only knows what adventures lie ahead for them. 
Now, this is something that God told me in advance was going to happen. Um, it's really, really neat. There's so many details I could share with you about it. But when Jared and Kristen came to live with us, I couldn't understand why God allowed this because he was having me in this very weird season where he'd withdrawn his favor and grace from me. And I also had known back on January 5th of 2017, God was graduating, I'm sorry, 2018, God was graduating Jared into this same thing that I just told you about with this lady where I had had my time in his life. I had given him everything that I knew to help him to learn how to walk in faith with God. And one day God said, that's enough. Pull back and now allow him to walk with me on his own. And I sent Jared that message on January 5th of 2018. And I said, brother, I'm going to have to get out of your life a little bit. I'm sorry to tell you this. I love you. God bless you. But the Lord wants you to walk this out now on your own. And uh, this is the removing of the Elijah, the removing of a Moses from somebody's life, okay? And so when he came to live with us, it was it didn't meet at all with what I thought God was doing. It didn't make sense to me at all. Turns out God had some amazing reasons for doing it. But shortly after we made that message about going to Austin, God blessed me by returning his grace and his spirit. And when he did, things in my heart began to totally change. I began to get off course. And again, I don't want to open up this bag yet. There's so many things I want to tell you about, but the timing is not right for me to share about 2018 yet. But you can know this, that what happened was God changed in my heart all kinds of things. And the dynamic in Jared and I's relationship began to change in my heart. And one day I came and I told Persis, I said, Persis, Jared and I are not going together. There is, we are not supposed to be together anymore that, you know, there's these, um, you have these natural kind of desires when you're chummy, chummy, buddy, buddy. And when Jared and I are working on the tiny house and we're like, man, you know, and this is again, 2018 when I'm much more in the flesh and I'm saying to Jared, you know, wow, wouldn't that be awesome if, you know, God put us together and we could minister together. God was not going to do that. But that's what in my mind, you know, bestie friend and, oh, this is going to be great. We could have some fun together and go on adventure together and maybe God will send us out together. Sometimes God does, but in this instance, he was not going to do that. I began to know this in my heart. And on January 14th at 7.40 in the morning, I made a recording in our tiny house after prayer and after visiting this in my heart for a few weeks Two weeks, you know, the first two weeks of the first year, I began to know something is not right. We are going to be going in a different direction. And I made a recording that said, God will separate Jared and I soon. 7.40 in the morning, January 14th. I had not said anything to Jared about this because, again, God had already let me know Let him walk this out. And so Jared was walking this faith walk out all on his own. He was hearing from God. He was getting guidance from God about Austin and when to go and how to go and all of these things and and making sure they were still supposed to go. I was really proud of him. I was watching him, but God kept telling me, stay away, stay away. Let him do his thing. So it got kind of weird for Jared and I. We didn't really know like what to think of our relationship. It was like we were together, but we weren't allowed to be buddies anymore. It was just a really bizarre thing that began to happen. And uh, it was very confusing for, for both of us for a time. But this is when God finally gave me light and gave me just the blessing of understanding this, that God was going to separate us. And so I made this message and I said, it's going to happen soon. Five and a half hours later at 1230 or five hours later at 1230 on that January 14th, Jared and I were standing in the kitchen and he said, my friend, he said, 
I think uh, we're going to be heading out next week. I think God is really calling us to move forward and, and, and head out next week. And he goes, and I, and I, and I said, brother, this is wonderful. I, I said, I'm so happy to hear this. I said, I've not been able to say anything to you. To, I didn't want to influence your decision in any way. And I said, I'm so happy. I said, but look at this recording that I made five hours ago that God is going to separate us soon. And he said to me, he said, I assume you're not coming with us, right? He goes, we kind of started to get the picture that you're not coming with us. And I said, no, brother, I'm not. God is calling us in a a different direction. And I said, I don't even now know where Persis and I are going, but I know we're not going with you to Austin. I said, God changed it. Oh, and I could tell you so many amazing things about this story. But right there in that moment, the Lord gave me utterance to speak a few things to Jared, to give him some understanding, a lot of which I'm sharing with you now about the time comes when you have to be all alone, where you depend on God alone. And what I explained to Jared is, is that even though we had separated ourselves proximally and we weren't sharing with each other anymore what God was doing in each, other, each other's lives until after the fact so that we weren't influencing each other. I didn't want to influence him at all. And he didn't want me to be influencing him. He wanted to learn how to walk with God alone, which is what my whole ministry is about. But we still were too close to one another. You cannot live together and not know what's going on with the other person and hearing me in Persis talking about what God's doing with me and me hearing him and them around the corner. We share the same kitchen and all that stuff. So what I explained to him is I said, brother, even though you and I are not talking about this anymore, God's calling you to walk in faith. And I said, you're still watching my example. Even me being here, knowing all the things that I've told you over these last two years and then some and seeing my example will be an influence to you that you could lean on when God is going to require you to walk this out alone. Okay. And so you can see times where in a moment, a Moses or an Elijah is snatched away and that new person now has to learn to walk with God on their own. There is no greater school of learning how to walk with God than being forced. And so God will put us into situations sometimes when we're totally isolated. You don't have any family members. You don't have any friends. You don't have any spiritual mentors. God will completely isolate that person to let them learn from him alone. This has been such an amazing truth. It happened to me. And now it has happened to several people that God has allowed me to minister to. I think this is important. Somebody needs to hear this. I don't know who you are, but somebody needs to hear this. That's why the Father is having me share it with you. But in these moments, whether you're the one who has to release or the woman, the one who is being released, you trust God no matter what. You trust God no matter what. There is levels of humility and levels of suffering, and levels of dependence upon God, and levels of wisdom, and levels of understanding that you cannot get walking with somebody else, but God will have to isolate you. And by the way, I know I've just let a huge cat out of the bag. You now realize we're not going to to Austin, Texas. It's very exciting. I am telling you what the Lord does behind the scenes in my life is so exciting. I say, Father, how am I ever going to be able to tell people all the stuff that you do if you don't slow down a little bit? I can't keep up. And me being a details guy, I'm drowning in my own walk with God. It's incredible. So, But I will tell you when the Lord leads me to once we know. We do not know yet. Um, But it may be that it's very close. I'll tell you. I'll just go ahead and tell you, I think God has shown me, and now I'm waiting for him to give me the final confirmation, 
and it could be any minute now. And um, it's an exciting, It's an, this whole thing has been exciting. I cannot wait to one day in this story to tell you more about all the things that have been going on behind the scenes and how I've walked this out with God. It's amazing. It's amazing. So, but uh, Jared and Kristen are in Austin and we both came to agreement in our spirit that we need to distance and allow them because we've gotten so close that now we need to let the distance happen so that God can have them and they can learn to walk this thing out. So I'm sure you'll be hearing from them again down the road. Perhaps like me, after a few years of testing and walking with God, you never can tell God may call them into a full-time ministry as well. So you can see how Romans 8.28 God works all things together for the good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. Let me see if I can share with you one more clip. Sorry about all this, but hopefully it's good stuff for you to grow uh, with. So now fast forward, this has been June Now we're getting closer and closer to the end, and all of a sudden, I receive an email from his attorney sent to the general magistrate asking for, where's the final judgment? It's been approved. Where is it? Is there anything you're waiting on us for? She was asking. She sends the email and copies the general magistrate. Well, I see this as a soft pitch that's just been thrown to me. I'm going, wait a second. She copied me. She copied the judge. Why don't I just hit reply all? So I hit reply all, knowing that it would go back to the original magistrate and said, so that a great injustice does not occur. How can we get a final judgment that accurately reflects your words as recommended on February 16th of 2012? Because currently they are being disrespected and they're not being represented. Immediately an email comes back, reply all from the judge. It says, please do not send any correspondence directly to me. For any questions regarding the case, please send to my assistant. Thank you in advance for your cooperation. What do you think happened to my heart? My heart sank. I thought for sure, oh, here's my opportunity. You know, this is going to work out. Didn't work. I'm praying. I'm like, God, what do I do? I remember the story of the parable. That, oh, by the way, God had been showing me the parable of the persistent widow. I believe it's Luke 18. And he was telling me, ask me for justice. Ask me for justice. Ask. And so I had been praying every single day, God, grant me justice against my enemy. Lord, you see the wrongs being committed against me. Lord, you see people think I'm a fool. Lord, you see how bad I'm hurting. You see how bad I'm outgunned. Help me, God. Grant me justice, Lord. I just kept asking him over and over and over again, every day, multiple times a day. And oh, by the way, he would keep showing me to ask him for justice. So I'm just doing what he asked me to do. So now I'm like, Lord... The parable of the persistent widow, she kept going at the judge. Does that mean, Lord, like I should keep badgering this judge? Or do I just wait upon you? What do I do? I was at Larry and Trisha's house. And I said, guys, let's please pray. What do you guys think I should do about this? We all agreed that I should not send an email back to the judge. We should, I should respect his decision. They said, do what he said. Send one to his assistant. Because he said right in there, send the correspondence to his assistant. So I typed up this email that said, Dear Marcy, listen, I am a single parent father. I am out of money. I have done everything I can. I'm I'm pro se defending myself. 
I just need help. I'm not asking for any new considerations. I'm not asking for any other help than for you to just help me get your boss's words to be respected in the final judgment. And I'm thinking, surely she'll help a guy in, you know, down on his luck. I get an email back. I'm anxiously waiting. An email comes back about two hours later. Dear Mr. Chriswell, cease and desist from sending any communication like this. This is highly inappropriate. If you need help, hire an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, do the legal research yourself. Thank you in advance for your cooperation. I'm like, okay, I'm denied in my motion for notice of exceptions by the one judge. I'm denied by the general magistrate who actually made the recommendations. Now I am denied by the administrative assistant. I'm fresh out of options. All doors are closed. There's nothing left for me to do. That night I got on my knees and I prayed and I'm like, Father, I need you to tell me what do you want me to do, Lord? Am I supposed to continue to badger and keep pressing or do you want me to just stand and wait? Are you just going to deliver me? I wanted to know what was he going to do? I'm on my knees in the guest room at Larry and Trisha's house and I'm praying and I'm, I'm like, Lord, I'm desperate. I need a word. And all of a sudden I hear 1 Peter 5.12 and I'm like, okay, what is that? I quickly get my Bible out. I look it out, look it up and it says, I have briefly testified to you that this is in fact the grace of God. Stand fast in it. Instantly, I knew the answer. The Holy Spirit had said, stand, just stand, Michael, and I will deliver you. So I'm standing there. I'm going, okay, not doing anything else. All right. Shortly after this, another hearing is set for to violate me of the parenting agreement. Okay. Don't want to tell you about the crazy accusations. They're amazing. They're, it's good, juicy details for a story for another day. Just know that they're throwing the kitchen sink at me again, and they're trying to hold me in violation of their proposed parenting agreement, which is not anything to do with what the judge recommend, recommended. I mean, they're saying some crazy stuff. So there's a hearing now set for September 24th for me to appear at. The recording that you hear... Uh, in the story video where the sun is going down and I'm crying. That was actually two different recordings. One lasted about 30 minutes and another one lasted about 15 minutes. The one that lasted about 15 minutes, I began to tell God how mad at him I was. My world was falling apart. My mother was persecuting me to no end. I had been dating a girl I had just broken up with. My ex-wife is going crazy on me. I am um, out of money. God has told me I, ha I can have no job. And it's now four months after the divorce trial. I still don't have a final divorce decree. I still can't get justice. I am at the end of myself and I begin to lament to God and tell him that I'm angry in a moment. I just, I lost it. I want you to hear a little bit of this recording because I want you to pay attention to what happens while I'm in the middle of telling God how mad I am. Watch what happens. Listen to this. You can't watch it. Just listen to it. I'm trying so hard to obey your commands, Lord. I'm trying so hard. You're making me mad at you. I'm mad at you, God. I'm mad. 
I am mad at you, Lord. I want you to protect me and give, give me peace, and I don't have any peace, and I'm not living a life that deserves to feel like this, God. You're making me want to give up, God. That's what you're making me want to do. You make me want to just give up. Because I don't feel that I'm responsible for this, Lord. I don't see how I'm the one that did this to myself. God, I am angry. And I am sorry that I'm mad at you, God. I'm sorry. But Lord, I am desperate for you to tell me what's going on. I'm desperate for you to teach me. God, what does this mean? Why is this happening? And there I see a 777. God, you've been showing me 777 for months, and I don't feel like I've... I don't feel like I'm at the end of this. <clears throat> you told me that because we... For me to hang in there, that we were almost at the end of this season, God, and it feels like it's lasting so long, I don't know how much longer I can make it. I don't know how much longer I can make it, God. You've deprived me of everything, Lord. Why? Why? Boy, that poor kid had a rough go at it, didn't he? You see, the Lord is really working to afflict me in all my circumstances. You can see how he's removed my human support. He has now three times denied me closing the doors to my attempts at getting justice. Three times my efforts to self-deliver have failed. Now I end up trying to journal record all of this on that June, whatever day it was, Father's Day. I'm supposed to have received my children. This is another thing that I didn't share uh, in this recording is I was supposed to get my kids. So I've come down from Alabama to court. I'm there to see my children. And she's once again come up with some ridiculous reason why I cannot have time sharing with my kids. And so finally, all of this just builds and builds and builds. I'm driving all the way over to Cape Canaveral, Florida, just to go to the beach to get away by myself. And I just became so mad. And I, I, I even said, Father, is this what you call a Father's Day present? Is this what I get for Father's Day? What the Lord was going to teach me and why I'm so frustrated in this is another reason why a lot of people get overwhelmed and frustrated until we learn three principles that I was not walking in at this time. I had not yet understood the importance of waiting on God. Waiting on God is one of the most important principles, one of the most active principles of God that you will have in your walk with Christ. And so I hadn't yet gone through the Bible and compiled all the waiting on God scriptures and learned about it and seen what an important principle it was so that I was not freaking out when God's not showing up all the time when I think he's supposed to. Now I've taught a lot about this subject through my recordings. I'm sure you've heard a lot of them. Another principle that I was not paying attention to that was causing me a lot of grief is I was not yet understanding the Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 position of fixing my eyes on Jesus Christ rather than on my circumstances. Remember, even the great Peter, when he takes his eyes off of Jesus 
and looks over here at all that wind and waves kicking up, he begins to sink and collapse. And the Lord has to reach in at the last minute and save him, right? Saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And so here I am filled full of doubt, filled full of not understanding why you've telling me you're going to deliver me, but it's not going to, ha- it's not happening. I don't understand what's going on. All of my circumstances are collapsing. You know, you claim to be a good God. Why are you not helping me? Why are you not showing me some of this goodness, right? Because I'm not waiting on God. I have no idea how good God is to be working all of this self-sufficiency and pride and old religion out of me, lukewarmness. I have no idea the heart surgery God's doing on me. I don't know the importance of waiting on God. I don't understand that I need to keep my eyes on him for only he will release my feet from the snare. I believe that's Psalm 25, 15. And finally, I don't understand the principle of persevering until God delivers. Persevering is more than just waiting, right? Like you could you could lay on the couch and, and that could be called waiting. Sleeping could be considered waiting. But persevering is an intentional running to God in faith, clinging to his word, and putting yourself in a position of denying yourself the instant gratification of forcefully reminding yourself, my God is faithful, my God will come through. It is doing all the things you need to do. It's the gritting of your teeth spiritually in order to get through it. Remember Jesus said in Revelation, this calls for great perseverance on the part of the saints. Well, there's lots of things that calls for great perseverance on the part of the saints, especially when you're walking through God, walking with God through crisis. So, you know, this is long before I understood and was clinging to James 5.11. You know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. For you have heard of Job's perseverance and seen what the Lord finally brought about. Look at what the Lord finally brought about. Oh, praise the Lord. Right? I mean, I've lived it, so it's not all this moment-by-moment excitement anymore like it was. But, I mean, think about what the Lord brought about. Look at this guy. If I could just say, Yoo-hoo, quit your crying, baby boy. Everything's going to be okay. Come on, James 5.11. Come on, Hebrews 10.35. Come on, wake up. Your God is not dead. You know, but... This is the reality that we all have to go through. We all have to, if we're going to learn to trust God, you're going to have to go through some times where it feels like God has forsaken you, right? I mean, if they look at Jesus and say he was smitten of God and he's the master and no servant is greater than his master, if he's been called Beelzebub, if he has suffered, if he's been persecuted, if he was rejected by the world, how much more the members of his household, right? So we have to look like we've been forsaken of God, but I hadn't been forsaken. And look at this. Here I am crying out, telling God, this is the most mad I've ever been at God. I've never come close to anything like this before. Two times it happened and I just was so angry and you can hear me, but then you can hear I catch my breath and it didn't happen that quick. There was some time that passed. A few minutes I caught my breath and then I realized in my fear of God, Man, I need to apologize to him for getting mad. I mean, when the Israelites got mad, they died, okay? When you go read Psalm 78, 18 through 22, you see them grumbling against God. They did it a lot. God was so displeased that he basically, he ends up killing them. He lets them die off in the desert. He turns many of them over to snake death and all kinds of horrible things because they grumbled against him. And the Bible says his fire broke out. His wrath rose up against them because they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. Boy, that's a totally different kind of believing 
and God than what we think about today in church and what's preached behind the pulpits today, this intellectual idea that Jesus exists. Big whoop. You're no better off than the devils at that point. Believing in God is believing his words and obeying him. It's a total commitment to him as Lord. You don't just believe that he exists. You don't just believe in his person. You believe in his words. How can you say you believe in Michael Criswell if you don't believe in what I'm saying? The people that believe in me are the people who are hearing what I'm saying. They're putting the words into practice because they believe them. Same is true for Christ, more so for Christ. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say, right? So we have to learn these things over time with the Lord. But again, look at this. Here I am on the verge of grumbling, and thanks be to God I didn't stay so long. And look at what God does with me. He reaches right through in the moment of my desperation and has a 777 come by. A car with a 777 pulls right in front of me at that moment. Well, I'm telling him, you know, Lord, I don't understand about all this. You keep telling me 777. What am I missing? Waiting on God, keeping my eyes on him, his word, my heart constantly, redirecting my focus that he's there, he's in control, he's working, remembering the things he's already done, okay? Keeping my eyes on him and not the circumstances and persevering until he delivers me. I'm not doing those things, but what what am I doing? Towards the end, I'm going right back to that. And I'm saying, God, okay, give me another chance. I'm going to I'm going to man up and I'm going to continue to persevere and I'm going to continue to endure. Oh my goodness gracious, are you going to hear some stories about how I wanted to quit? Even more after this. There's more stories, more lots more testing. You know, you're talking about 2012 here. So this is 7 years ago that God's putting me in this just that of suffering. But now he's going to begin to, in a few years, he's going to begin to really, really test me in some ways and really begin to teach me his biblical principles and help me learn to walk with him. It's so amazing. This is the most amazing story I've ever heard, honestly. I'm telling you, and I'm saying this about my own story, but I think what you're going to hear, and let me go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. Father is moving me to share the recordings. I've mentioned them in countless other recordings. I have made uh, about 2,000 recordings over this six-year period. I'm going to start going through them. I started yesterday, and I'm going to pull about, pull out all the ones that are irrelevant, but Father is asking me to tell everything, and I'm going to create a library, God willing, and perhaps it'll it'll most likely be on my website, not on YouTube. It's probably too hard to make this many videos, and it blows up the file size when you make it a video, but make them to where you can download them for free, perhaps I'll put them on the podcast. My friend, let me just tell you something. You are going to be absolutely amazed, amazed at what this is like. I really believe that what Father helped me to capture, and I didn't realize this at the time, is unprecedented. I don't believe it's ever been done before where, if you look at John Wesley's autobiography, I never read it. I just kind of skimmed through it. It's one of the most detailed biographies of any Christian saint. Madame Guillaume, she talks several times about how the Lord had her not hold anything back. She wanted to be very careful not to hold anything back. So she gave great, great detail. George Mueller gave great detail. Those are a couple of ones I've read that have amazing detail. There was another one. I can't remember the guy's name. But, um, okay, it's one thing for you to read what somebody else wrote about what happened to them. It is another thing for you to be able to go back in time 
like in a time capsule, to the exact moment like you just heard. Do you know how priceless that is that I caught that on audio? To how much praise it results when I, I go back and think, man, I remember what that felt like, how hopeless it is. And now look, God has blessed me so much. He's given me so much more than, than I have that I now give it to thousands of other people, right? And, and check this out. For three and a half years before this video camera was ever turned on, I'm giving it to the people that I'm sitting next to at the local restaurants or meeting at Barnes and Noble or meeting at Starbucks. I was doing local or, you know, like Kay that you hear when I'm homeless or you hear me tell you the story about Mary sitting outside of, of Starbucks. I was starting to give away that which God had given me. I didn't have any idea Father was going to blow it up into this. But nonetheless, behind the scenes, before anybody ever heard of Michael Criswell, I'm living and having this incredible experience with God, okay? And, and, and he's moving me to capture all of it. And there's this sense that one day, perhaps, this is going to be made available for other people. I always knew I wanted it for my children, but I thought, you know what? One day, Father may have me turn these inside out and share it with other people. What it will do is, is it turns the walk of God completely inside out and shows what it looks like to really walk with God through a various number of situations and what it felt like in the moment. Here's my final point before I run out of battery. I remember when I was going through this, when my ex-wife really turned against me and the whole bottom of my life is starting to fall out. I remember going to Barnes and Noble to the Christian book section and going, man, I would give anything if I could find a book in here where somebody's been through what I've been through and that they could actually not just tell me, boy, keep it steady, Eddie. You're going to get through this. You're going to be okay. And you know, once I was lost, but now I was found. That's great. I've heard that song many times. No, I want to know when you lost everything, what did it feel like in that moment, okay? When God didn't answer your prayers, what did? how did you handle that? When you prayed, what did you pray? When God answered, how long did it take him to answer? When you heard back, what did you hear back? How did you, what did you struggle with? What did you learn? What did you have to unlearn? I wanted to know what it felt like to walk with God. I wanted like a spiritual mentor. See, I really didn't have anybody that could take me deep. I had a lot of people around me that had shallow Christianity, that had some verses here and there and some principles they read in another guy's book, but I didn't have anybody that had really went deep and walked alone, walking like Enoch with their God. I wanted that. I was going to do it. I've done it. I'm still doing it. God willing, I'll do it all the way to my grave. I'm telling you, it's the most unbelievable adventure ever. Most unbelievable adventure. I have journaled just this morning three answered prayers. By the time Persis woke up, I was already telling her about, honey, you remember last night when I got up at 6.40 and I said, I need to go pray? Honey, it was answered this morning at 4.08 in the morning. Okay. I, my, my hundreds and hundreds of answered prayers. Okay. Uh, I can't wait to share this with you. Now, listen, it's a lot of hard work. Please pray for me. You have no idea. 2,000 some odd recordings. They all have to be listened to. I have to edit them to take out perhaps people's names, cut out parts where I'm doing my constant sinus drainage. I have all kinds of work that I have to do. It's going to be a tremendous amount of work, okay? I mean, it's it may take me a year or two to do this. I don't know. It may take me longer than two years. It's taken me two years so far to do this uh, book. But I'm going to do this 
With God's help, he's calling me to do it, and I know it's going to bless and feed many. It is feeding of the sheep. There's some real food, things you will be able to hang on. For such a time as this, when the world has fallen apart around us, when people's love is growing cold by the thousands around us, when the whole earth is beginning to shake, we need all the evidence of God. We need all the light, all the testimony, all the encouragement we can. And not just testimony. Not just I went to hell, I saw the devil, he scared the heck out of me. I don't sin anymore now and I, I saw that Jesus is real. That's great. I don't want to discount that. But I'm talking about, okay, what about after that? What did you do when you didn't have money for your car payment? Tell me about that. I don't need to know what the devil looks like. That's not going to help me when I can't pay my car payment. That's not going to help me when you know I get married and that person falls out of the faith. That's not going to help me when God calls me into a ministry and then somebody falsely sues me and takes away my YouTube channel for six months. I want to know how did you walk with God? That doesn't help me to know what color the devil is wearing in hell when your parents turn against you and think your belief in God is insanity and they want to either get you on medicine or take you down to the jail where they can show you you're going to have a jailhouse ministry. I want to know practically, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What's the biblical principle? How did you endure? How long did you have to endure? That's what I want to know. Help me understand that, okay? That's what the Bible's about. Now, we don't get a lot of details, but look, the Bible is all about people who persevered. The testimonies of men and women who've been used of God are all about them persevering, clinging to faith, obeying God. You're never going to know God like this without obeying him. I want to just make it clear. It is going to cost you big time. I've tried to explain it to many people and many people don't know it, won't get it until they actually get there. That it's going to cost you. You're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to look like a fool. You're going to have to look and sound forsaken of God in order to find him. But man, when you find him, Praise be to the Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was and is and is to come. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such sinful opposition, or such terrible opposition from men, so that you will not grow weary. For in your battle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. We have to learn from the mistake of Peter and move our eyes back onto God and on his word and on his promises, not on all the things that are falling apart like that guy was doing. To my credit, I didn't stay there long. I couldn't be here if I did. Jesus probably looked down at me in that moment, sent me the 777 and said, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? He picked me up right there, just like Peter. So I'm no better than Peter. All right. But I learned the lesson of Peter and I learned to keep my eyes on Jesus next time. And I've been doing it ever since. And I'm telling you all the suffering that I've been through from this day forward has been much more palatable, has yielded much greater spiritual result and fruit in my heart because I have learned the habit of fixing my eyes on Jesus. I don't need another person. God has never once used another person to help me in my moment of desperation. I don't go to humans. I never tell you or anybody what happens in my life until God has already delivered me. Why? I am absolutely bent and absolutely determined to let my life be a living proof that you can have a real walk with God, that the grace of God is not trapped in a book, 
the person of God is not trapped in a book, that you can have a real experience with him, that he is really available. He is a real and present help in times of trouble. He is a strong tower and the righteous run into him and are saved, that he is real. His grace is real, that you can trust him. Supposing everybody turned away from the faith tomorrow, except for you, who are you going to trust then? Is God not able to have a one-on-one with you? Can you not trust God? No, I'm telling you, you can trust God and you better find out now because more and more people are going to be falling away. I know a lot of you are isolated and there's a reason why we're in those terrible end days. We are. They're going to last a lot longer, by the way. Things are going to have to get way, way, way worse than what you could even imagine. So I'm telling you, this stuff is so important for such a time as this. You better know how to walk with God now because the days are coming when you won't be able to walk with him. When the floodwaters and the cesspool of filth and evil and rebellion and cold-heartedness and wickedness and sin continues to pile up around this world, what are you going to do to learn to follow God when you're barely able to keep your head above water? Learn it now, my friends. Take God seriously now. Learn how to walk with him. Listen to these recordings. Stop watching so much movies, listening to music, making excuses. Listen to this stuff. This is life-giving bread. This is proof that God is real, okay? Let me tell you something. More real to me than the world falling apart is my experience with God. God in me is greater than anything that happens in this world. There is no suffering. There is no circumstances. There is no genocide. There is no whacked out presidents. There is no countries going bankrupt. There is nothing. There is no Muslim taking over. There is no, you know, anything that is greater reality to me than my God. He is my greatest reality, and he must be your greatest reality in this time, my friend, or you will not make it. I'm telling you, you will not make it. If you don't have oil in your lamp when Jesus Christ comes back, you are in trouble. It will be too late for you. You better start taking God seriously. Don't watch this stuff and say, oh, that's great, that's entertaining. No, take it seriously. Apply it in your life. Let the fear of God wash over you. Because I'm telling you, before God comes, the darkness is going to rule and reign in this life. It's going to have to get much, much darker. People are going to continue to fall away from the faith. I'm telling you, you haven't seen anything yet. There's things coming in this world. You are going to have to be seen as an absolute idiot in order to believe in Jesus Christ. The days are coming. You need to have evidence that God is real now. You need to have so much evidence that you can look at all the men on the ship who are dying with you. And they're saying to myself, my gosh, what is going on? We are going to die. The ship is going down. Even though we've thrown all of our loot and food overboard, even though we've wrapped it up with ropes, we are destined to die. This is over for us. You got to be able to look at that crew who's shaking at the knees when their world is falling apart because our world is going to fall apart. And you got to have that faith that Paul had. Paul knew better. He said, be of good courage, men, for I have faith that it will happen just as God promised. Are you going to be one of those, as the world continues to fall apart, will you be one of those who can look to other people when their knees start knocking? Because I can't be everywhere at one place. Neither can anybody who's right now got this kind of faith. You're going to need to be. The internet will go down. We won't have internet. What are you going to do then? Are you going to come, how are you going to watch my videos or Zach Poonin's videos or anybody's? You better learn how to get a hold of this God now. I'm telling you, my friend, 
You better get after him. You better know him. You better set down the silly stuff in your life. You don't know how much time you have. You don't know how much time you have. And I'm telling you, you don't know what day your ticker is going to tick. And stop ticking. You don't know what day that is for you. Take God seriously. Okay? Take God seriously. You know that I love you and I care about you. I speak this to you because it's important. I hope that you'll continue to watch and you'll be blessed by all that God has done because he's having me share it not for my benefit. I've already benefited from all this. He's having me share this for your benefit. Hopefully the battery hasn't gone dead. Thank you for letting this be so long and I'll see you on the next video.